on while the Spirit of the Lord is moving. Let's worship the Lord and thank God for His Word. And let's welcome Brother Green tonight. As we uh, move into New Year, I think what we traditionally do and what we're doing now is that we're asking God for direction. At the old year, whatever it might have been, blessing or not so blessing, that we look to the new year, this time 2021, for fresh vision, fresh direction, fresh purpose, fresh voice of God speaking to us. And I'm going to preach today by the help of God about 2020 in 2021. Perfect vision in 2021. A lot of our leaders and pastors last year at this time began to declare that 2020 is a year of vision. It seemed like a logical thing. And then somewhere through the year with everything that we dealt with, a lot of them decided they would just pull down the banner and no longer speak that and because of everything that had 2020 has been. But I would say to you that 2020 has been a year of vision. Tough, but vision. If you're going to see a long way off, you got to get to a higher place. And sometimes climbing a mountain is difficult. But if you get up there, the vista, the view, the vision is worth it. I'm reading from Genesis, I believe chapter 29. I forgot my glasses, so I might need some, Pastor. Yeah. That's a friend right there. Hallelujah, look at that. (laughs) As we're, right before we go to the Word of God, let me say this, that uh, this couple that's your pastor, we love them dearly. This is a man that has a big heart. Yes, he does. Bigger than this auditorium. Bigger than this city, bigger than this state. He's got a huge heart. And when he loves, he loves deeply. Loves strong, loves deeply. And all of you, no matter what your age is, he's your daddy. He loves you like you're his child. And you are privileged and honored to be able to have that kind of gifting as a pastor in your life. And First Lady is a beautiful lady on the inside and the outside all over. And we're just thankful that we get the opportunity to connect with the ministry that God has connected you to. And Lois and I are just privileged to be friends with this church, friends with Ed and Candy Walden and all of you. And thank you for the opportunity to be here today. Verse 10 of Genesis 29. Is that where I led you? Man, we are in sync today. And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. That's a lot of mother's brother right there. And Jacob kissed Rachel, lifted up his voice, and wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's brother and that he was Rebekah's son, And she ran and told her father. When it came to pass, Laban heard the tidings of Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. And Jacob told Laban all of these things. 2020 and 2021. God bless you. You may be seated. love my wife, so glad she's here today. The beautiful, awesome, talented, capable, luscious in the house. 
Jacob, his very name means supplanter, literally heel grabber, one that is a trickster or a conniver that would give himself to that name, to that purpose in order to get whatever he wants. I, I, I see Jacob, and you might have heard me say this, I see Jacob as one that would break the window of a car to steal a Bible off the front seat. He loves the things of God. He's hungry for the things of God, but his character and maturity in his walk with God isn't everything that it should be. In fact, soon we find in his life, as we are reading here in Genesis, is that everyone around him, he has tricked and connived and deceived. Until his brother, his own brother, he has sold his birthright to Jacob for a pot of beans. He waited till Esau was at a time of vulnerability. And then when he thinks he's starving to death, he said, I'm going to give you something that you love to eat. For your birthright. And he stole the birthright. He also deceives his father by acting like he is Esau. And when Esau goes to give a blessing, a prayer blessing to the eldest, Jacob the youngest steals it instead. He's even deceptive to his mother. And now Esau is ready to kill him. And it doesn't seem like Isaac, his father, is willing to stop Esau. And so Rebecca, with a little bit of compassion, speaks to Jacob and says, Run, run, run. you got to leave home. But a good idea would be to go back to where I am from. I've got a brother there in Haran. And if you go back there, I believe that he will help you get a new start. So Jacob leaves home. It's a fresh start for him. He's blown his chances with everyone around him. He has thrown them under the bus. He has gossiped about them. He has talked about them. And now he's got to leave. And so first night out, he must have been dreaming about new starts. A new year, a new start. And perhaps what he would learn in the future, who he would meet, perhaps his true love, his beloved, what, what experiences he would get. And there, as he lays his head on a rock, he has a dream that angels are literally descending from heaven to where he is and then ascending back up Jacob's ladder. And these angels are going and coming from heaven to where he is. He wakes up in the morning with this declaration, God was in this place and I wasn't even aware of it. But look at Jacob getting up from a powerful experience where God has spoken to him through dreams and he has seen angels and he leaves the same character that he was before the experience. Maturity and character doesn't happen by a single experience. But it's multiplied experiences of praying through again, worshiping again, praising again, fast and pray again, give yourself to intercession again, teach a Bible study again, witness again, and the continual fellowship and relationship of the Lord begins to change us from glory to glory. And so now he has left this place, a tremendous experience, but very little change and travels on. After some time, he finds himself close to the land of Haran and he spies a well where there are shepherds around the mouth of a well enclosed by a rock as it were at the times. And he begins to inquire of them, is this Haran? Do you know Laban? And the shepherds say, we do. This is Haran. We know Laban well. In fact, if you lift up your eyes right now, coming over the horizon, that's the flock of Laban. And right there leading the sheep is Laban's daughter, Rachel. And when Jacob looked up and saw Rachel, he was twitter-pated. If you've not read the story in a long time, that's what happened to Bambi when he saw Feline. It just, it's love at first sight. 
All of a sudden, his palms got a little sweaty and his voice was cracking a little bit. His knees are shaking and something happens to him. It is powerful experience of first sight of Rachel. In fact, culture tells us, and the scripture makes allusion to it, that it took several men to remove that stone from the well's mouth. But adrenaline is so pumping in Jacob that he removed the stone even though he should have waited for others. And then he goes over to where Rachel is, lifts her up off her feet literally, and there he embraces her, kisses her on her ruby red, and cries. He was starting off good, but he ended up a sissy. I just have to tell you. Just kidding. He was so moved by the experience of seeing Rachel that he expressed it by embracing her, sweeping her off of her feet, kissing her, and then in a romantic show, he let her see how deeply he was moved by this experience as tears are coursing down his face. Now, evidently, Rachel must have been just as Twitter-painted as Jacob is because she goes running home all red-faced and blushing and she gets to where Daddy is and she says, Daddy, you got to come meet this guy. He's just like you. Now, you won't see that in the Scripture, but I'm reading between the lines a little bit, but I know that's what they say because I've had daughters and that's what they all say. They're wanting to get you an in where you will like them. In fact, in my phone still today is my son-in-law, before he was ever my son-in-law, somehow it got magically entered in my contact list as, Jared, you like him. It's still there. I guess I still need to be reminded sometimes. And so Laban comes to meet this young man that has swept his daughter off of her feet when he realizes that they are relatives and that it's his sister Rebecca's son, Jacob, that is there. He invites them home and they begin to have a few short days of fellowship. And, and I imagine the first time... How do I look in these glasses? I'll give you $10 for them, Pastor. They're anointed. I can feel that. So, short time. I imagine it happens like this the first time they sit down to dinner that Jacob is... He has eyes only for Rachel. And maybe she's still helping to set the table a little bit. And Laban's at the head of the table. Jacob's beside him. And Laban is pumping him for news. Believe it or not, they didn't have texting back then. And so Laban is saying, Jacob, tell me about my sister. Haven't seen her perhaps in years. Tell me about your brother, my my brother-in-law. Tell me what's going on. And as Laban is pumping Jacob for news, Jacob only has eyes for Rachel. I imagine as they sit down to eat, all of the family now that Jacob is trying to show Rachel how much he loves her already. And he begins to tap around the table, feeling around for that little petite, beautiful foot and catches that big size 12. Laban looks at him sharply. Are you doing what I think you're doing? Just just things that might have been happening. In fact, they have a wonderful evening and then quickly to bed. The Bible says that the first thing the next day, Jacob is up and he is out taking care of the sheep. Now you got to remember, this ain't Jacob. It's his brother Esau that's up three in the morning hunting deer on some tree stand while it's 20 below. That's not Jacob. That's Esau. Esau still in his pajamas at 10 o'clock puttering around deciding what to eat for breakfast. His brother, he's the one with the field and he's the one that's out. But Jacob all of a sudden has done a 180 and first thing in the morning he's out watching the sheep. Not because he's in love with sheep necessarily, but because he knows if he spends time with the sheep... He spends time with the shepherd. Can I just throw this in? That if you fall in love with the sheep, you'll be spending some intimate time with the shepherd. And so, all day long, he's got muscles hurting that he didn't know existed in his body. 
He comes back to the dinner table that night and eyes only for Rachel and Laban trying to talk to him. This is the case day after day for just a few short handful of days. And finally Laban exclaims one night, Jacob, you're the hardest worker I have ever seen. I want to hire you. Just name your wage. Just tell me your hourly rate, and I'm going to put you on full time. And so it's only been a few days. And Jacob looks at Laban and says, you know what? I don't want to be on your salary, and I do not want an hourly wage. What I want is the hand of your daughter Rachel in marriage. He's bold. Only known him a few days. Laban basically says this, and if you look in the scripture, you'll see it later. I just assumed she married you as one of these goobers around here. That's pretty much what he says. So I'll tell you what I'll do, Jacob. I'm going to find out if you really love Rachel. So if you will work for me seven years, I'll give you the hand of my daughter, Rachel, in marriage after seven years of working for me. And Jacob seemingly does not even contemplate, but immediately he's making an agreement. Yes, I'll work seven years for Rachel. And so they're working these seven years. Now, I believe this time was spent in courting, dating, getting to know each other, and rightfully so. And I can see them with a picnic lunch out underneath the sycamore tree as the sheep aren't straying too far and they're talking, getting to know one another. And perhaps Rachel is saying, Oh, Jacob, one day I'd like to have a little picket white fence. And I'd I'd like to just a house that kind of sits on the edge of a meadow and can look out over. That would be so awesome. And Jacob's telling her, that sounds good. You know, I want to be a millionaire by the time I'm 40. And I'm going to buy a Lamborghini and I'm going to have a Porsche and I'm going to have a... Well, you know, you have to read between the lines a little bit to find this. And I want all of these, and they're sharing their dreams. I love kids. Wouldn't you like to have kids? Oh, yeah. How many kids you want? Let's have a, let's have a dozen of them. <laughs> okay. And they're also sharing their spiritual dreams. And Jacob's telling Rachel, Rachel, you've got to know that my grandfather Abraham, God spoke to him and gave him a covenant promise. That all the world will be blessed through my grandfather and now through Isaac, my dad. And that covenant is upon me. I have the birthright. I have the blessing. I have the promise. And God is going to use me tremendously in my life. And from my loins will be nations and a mighty nation. And like the stars, count them, Rachel. Count the sand of the seashore. That's how many ancestors or children we're going to have. That is what God has spoken to us. And they're sharing their spiritual dream. I hope before you get too close to that young man or that young lady, you don't just share your attractions and share your desires in this life, but you start opening up your heart and what God is speaking to you and how he's anointed you and called you and you see yourself being used of God and this is what you dream of and this is what you're declaring is going to happen and it's what you're going to commit your life to. And so... They are dreaming, they are sharing, they are courting, dating, going together as we said back in the day. And uh, finally, seven years have come and gone. It seemed like a few days for the great love Jacob had. That's what the scripture said, just a few days. And this morning, again, as I use just a little imagination, Jacob gets up and he goes running to Laban's door and he's banging on the door. And Laban is like, my goodness, what is on fire? Who is banging on my door this early? He gets up and Jacob says, it's time! Yay! (laughs) What do you mean, Jacob? It's been seven years. No way. Goes over to the counter. Oh, my goodness, it's been seven years. It's time for me to give Rachel to Jacob in marriage. 
And so they have what was customary of the time, an entire week of feasting and fasting and dancing and joking and talking. And during this week of celebration before their wedding ceremony, the, the wife is not allowed to be seen. In fact, she has veiled not just her face, but her entire body is veiled. And as much as possible, she's not in the feasting, according to their culture of that time in Haran. And so all week long, this must have seemed longer than the seven years, as Jacob is now going to marry his beloved. And finally, the wedding ceremony finally gets there. Again, she's veiled head to toe. The wedding night, the same way, veiled head to toe. And in the morning after their bliss and their wedding ceremony and their festival and their seven years of courting, Jacob goes to remove the veil from the face of his beautiful beloved Rachel. And when he removes it, we all know that story. It's not Rachel. It's Leah, Rachel's older sister. And so Jacob reaches under his pillow and gets a 357. <laughs> yeah, it's somewhere in there. You'll have to look. And he goes to where Laban is. Me and you got a problem since you're on the business end of 357. You've got the biggest problem. And Laban is trying to calm him down. And this is what Laban says. You gotta realize in the culture of where we live in Jacob, it is not right to give the younger daughter before the older daughter has been wed. Well. Why didn't you tell me that seven years ago? I'd been working on somebody in town. If you told me that two weeks ago, I'd have paid somebody to elope with her. Why do you have to trick me? The trickster is tricked. Behold, your sins will find you out. And so, he is arguing, he's discussing with Jacob that you have tricked me. I fell in love with Rachel. You told me seven years ago you would give me the hand of your daughter, Rachel, in marriage, not Leah. And so Laban is like, okay, okay, okay. Now just hear me out here. You're married to Leah, my oldest daughter, and now she's married. So it's okay now for me to marry my younger daughter, Rachel. So let's, let's make an agreement, Jacob. If you would work for me seven more years, I'll give you the hand of my daughter, Rachel, also in marriage. How do you make an agreement with somebody that just messed you up with the last agreement? So Jacob has a decision to make. He's got to decide what he's going to do. And so he's making out a list of pros and cons. Now, I've heard it preached all my life, and we should continue preaching it that way. The Scripture has a plethora, a multiplicity of dimensions in every verse for us to be able to preach the kingdom of God. I've heard it preached most of my life that Rachel was the beautiful one and Leah was the ugly one. The Scripture does not say that. And it's my personal belief that that is not the case. In fact, my experience in life is like when a couple gets together, starts having children, it's like they're all cute, they're all beautiful, they're all good looking, or they're all precious. So it seems to me that if Rachel had her fine parts and was beautiful, then perhaps Leah was maybe good looking as well. So when he's writing his list, perhaps he's saying, here's the pros. Leah's not bad looking. Maybe, maybe everybody in town thinks this is a great catch. Maybe the people next door, the church across the street, maybe they think that I'm doing good. Maybe, maybe she would be the best house cleaner I could ever have dishwasher. Maybe she would be the kind of wife that when I get home from a long day's work, she's there with a sweet tea and a newspaper to put me in my recliner. Maybe, maybe she would have all of these fine parts and fine things. Maybe I should just decide Leah would be okay because seven more years is a long time and I just got tricked for the last seven years I gave. 
The Bible gives us these names with tremendous revelation. The word Rachel or Rachel in the original Hebrew, it means to be a pet sheep. It gives the picture of one that the shepherd carries this one on its shoulder, knows it, calls it by name, special preference. And that sheep is so connected to the shepherd that wherever the shepherd goes, it follows like a little dog, little pet. The word Leah simply means tender-eyed. That's it. The Bible says of Leah is that she was weak-eyed. She had a problem with vision. Her name means tender-eyed. The Bible says of her that she was tender of eye or had bad vision, if you will. But when the Bible speaks of Rachel, it says that she was beautiful and well-favored. Now, I hope I'm not going to be offensive when I say this. Literally, that means that she was beautiful countenance to look upon and she had a great figure. That's what it means. But Laban is what blows me away because Laban means white. It's a typology of deity or of God himself. So God tricking Jacob, promising beauty, favor, blessing, and giving lesser vision instead. Years ago, my wife and I were fairly newly married, and we had one child, Morgan. She was uh, just toddler, and Megan was, um, I guess Megan wasn't born at this time. And we were felt our call into ministry. We had a lot of respect to earn from the people of God and a lot of um, maturity that we had to gain in our walk with God as well as our ministry. And so in the meantime, I'm, I'm doing everything to take care of our family and we have um, uh, construction type business that we were part of at the time. And I began to reach out to any open doors I could find. And at the time, there was a message that was sent from the president that said, we need an influx of air traffic controllers and we are going to be hiring. So I, I put my name in, and the way this went is you had to go and take a test, and from the test, they would take a certain top percent, and then they would interview you, do backgrounds, then they would send you to Oklahoma City to do a three-month thing, and then they would station you. So I took this test, and they let me know that I'd done well on the test, and they wanted to hire me as an air traffic controller, and they needed to do a background check on me. So I waited a few days, and phone didn't ring, and I waited a few weeks, and the phone didn't ring. I waited a few months. I figured, well, you know, they, they've lost, or they saw my background, and they just laughed. You know, I don't know what the deal was, but finally, two years later, I got a phone call, and it said, Mr. Green, congratulations. You're an air traffic controller. I said, I am? Yeah, of course you are. We're going to fly you up in two weeks to Oklahoma City. There you're going to take a three-month course where you're going to learn a different language to speak. You're going to understand this and do that. We're going to train you, and then we're going to place you. And they began to tell us the money was going to make it. This is back in the 80s, so it sounded pretty good then. I think starting out maybe at forty, fifty thousand, 50000 if I'm not mistaken, Lois, and, and just, you know, this way, this supervisor position, if you go here and go, and the three or four years, you could actually be making over $100,000. And so I said, Lois, this is the blessing of God, the favor of God. And I, I got on an airplane, and I went to Oklahoma City. Anybody here from Oklahoma City? I'm trying to find out how harsh I can be on Oklahoma City. <laughs> I'm going to tell you a secret, but don't tell anybody outside this room. I don't think God goes to Oklahoma City. I was the most miserable person that you have ever seen. I go to the classes and learn alphabet. I, the whole alf, the language is just different. I'd learn that there isn't just sky up there, but it's path and roads and routes, and there's language you have to speak. And it was like playing Nintendo with people's lives. I know you don't know what Nintendo was, but that's what it was back then. 
PlayStation 5 a little bit. And so I was loving it, enjoying it. But I'd come back to my furnished apartment that they had for me. And my wife now had two daughters at home that Megan had been born in that two-year span. And, and I was miserable. And I would pray like I know how to pray. I would worship there in my room like I know how to worship. I would talk to God and it felt like the voice was coming out and falling right to the ground. I found a church that had to drive maybe 30, 40 minutes to get to where it was. And there I attended that church. And I'll tell you the truth, that in the prayer meeting before church, I could get close enough to somebody to feel the presence of God slightly. But then when I'd go to church, I couldn't feel Him. The wonderful presence that we felt here. It'd be like I was in the middle of that presence and couldn't feel a thing. I worshiped like I knew how to worship, praised. I worked with people in the altar, prayed people through the Holy Ghost, ministered to people, and couldn't feel a thing. I go home to my apartment, and there I was so frustrated. I talked God until half the night was over, and I pick up the telephone. I would dial because that's what you did back in them days. Dial Lois, and she'd pick up the phone. She'd say, hello. i say, hey, baby, what you doing? She'd say, sleeping. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. Tim, what are you doing? I don't know. I just can't get past I can't seem to find God. I'm miserable here. And, and I'd start talking to her, and she'd say, well, I'm praying for you. That didn't do nothing for me. <laughs> but then she'd say, I sure do miss you. And we'd talk. I'd hang at the phone, fall asleep, and just a couple hours have to be awake and ready to go to class again. Go to class and come home, and it was the same story. Couldn't find God anywhere walking that floor, trying to reach out to him and talk to him. Couldn't find him. Go to church service. Couldn't feel him anywhere. And I am miserable. And finally, two and a half months into this class, I'm desperate one night in my apartment. And I say, God, I'm not leaving until you come and speak to me. And into my room that day came a presence that I recognized. It was what I felt when after I had backslid and come back to God, there he was with mercy and grace. It was what I had fallen in love with in that pre-service prayer meeting a couple of years after that when God began to say, come on, if you'll commit, I'll use you. I'll make you go across this world. I'll, I'll let you see gifts of the Spirit, miracles, signs, and wonders. You're going to see healing, the outpour of the Holy Ghost. And I began to fall in love with a calling and a dream. And God began to share with me years ago what He had been taught talking to me about what I had fallen in love with, that walk of closeness with him and intimacy, maturing and growing in relationship, that ministry, that calling, that purpose, that blessing that he had spoken, and everything that I had felt in the momentous, momentous times of my life, that same spirit walked in. It was my Rachel, what I fell in love with. And I heard... That voice, a, is this what you want? Air traffic controlling. And I began to argue with God how beautiful Leah was. Uh, they say we're going to be making this much money. I'm going to be paying this much tithes. I can help the church build this, doing that, and this, all these things that you know. I can dress it up real good and make Leah look real good. And... You just kept looking at me and speaking to me, is this what you want? And when I felt that presence again, when I remembered first meetings of that kiss and them tears and that embrace, I knew it didn't matter how much money I made. It didn't matter what else I could do to bless this and to bless that and to bless this. That's not what I fell in love with. That's not what I wanted for my life. 
What I wanted was that calling, that ministry. I went over and picked up the phone and hit the redial. And on the other side, she said, I'm sleeping. And I said, but what are you really doing, baby? And she said, nothing. What are you doing? I said, I'm catching the first flight home. I've got to come home. I've been out of the will of God. And I need to get back with you and the kids and make some priorities and commitments in my life. And she said, well, it's about time you heard the voice of God. (laughs) And so I went back to my class the next morning. I said, doctor, i got to talk to you. I'm quitting air traffic control. And he said, no, 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 no. I refuse to even hear that. I said, no, I'm quitting. He said, you can't. Do you remember how large the class was when we started? And little by little, people have flunked out, and this one has been weaned out. He said, there's only a handful left, and you're one of our top students. You're going to make it. I'm telling you, you're going to do good. All you have to do is hang on two weeks, just coast the last two weeks. And I said, no, I quit. And he said, don't say any more. I'll tell you what I'll do. He said, I will give you a pass right now. You come back in two and a half months and catch the next class right where you are stopping this class. And I'll make it so you can come right back in and finish your two weeks in two and a half months from now. And I said, no, you don't understand. I don't want to be an air traffic controller. I hate the FAA. (laughs) You're probably still bugging my phone from that one, right? I don't want to do this. I've been called to preach the gospel and I've been out of the will of God and I've got to get home. He threw up his hands and turned his back without another word and walked away. Meantime, I had my car up there. I had to drive the car home. No, I had to fly home. Then I had to fly back to get my car later because I had to be home that particular day. I want you to know it was still probably 10 years from that decision until I first stood behind an apostolic Pentecostal podium and preached the Word of God. Oh, I taught Bible studies and the rows began to fill up. And we opened up Vesper services at Presbyterian retirement homes and prayed 96-year-old people through the Holy Ghost. And we went downtown Atlanta and the Kudzu and preach to the homeless any place that I could find a hungry person that's where I went that's what we did but my reputation and the crow I had to eat and the character that had to be developed 10 years before I stand behind the apostolic Pentecostal pulpit I think Jacob is making his list and I'm quickly closing And he's got all the pros of if I just stay with Rachel, I mean with Leah, seven years is a long time. Maybe I'll just stay with Leah. And about that time, his Rachel walked by like only Rachel can walk by. And she looks at him like only Rachel can look at him. And she says, really? Is this what you want, Jacob? What about all them dreams we shared under the sycamore tree? What about the prophecies and promises of how God's going to use that we join our hearts together in prayer and we agreed with what? What about all them love yous that you shared with me? And all the times when our hearts were open to each other. Are you really going to be satisfied With Leah, a lesser vision. This right here is not just a one-time story. This is the habit and the culture of heaven. God speaks to the children that are in slavery in Egypt's bondage. And he tells them, I'm going to deliver you out of slavery and take you to a land that flows with milk and honey. And you're going to be blessed and favored and have all of these things that you did not build, that you did not sweat, that you did not give your blood for. I'm going to bless you. But they find themselves out from under the slavery of Egypt. And now because they see walls and giants, they've got to ask the question again. Are you happy enough? just to get outside of Egypt. Are you glad you're just saved? 
Or do you really want what I told you I would do through you? Do you really want a revival that'll turn this university upside down? Do you really want a revival that'll spread across this city? Do you really want a promise anointing that I shared with you? His name is Saul until he's knocked off his high horse. And there God begins to speak to him and identifies himself. I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. And Saul, whose name will be turned to Paul, says, just lead me, just direct me, just guide me. He gets his eyesight back. He's filled with the Holy Ghost. And now he begins to walk among the people of God. He's saved. He's got relationship with the Lord. But there is friction in the house of God. Some people don't believe in His testimony. Some people don't believe He is converted. And some people don't believe His character has changed. That's a true thing that could happen. Some people believe that he's going to win all their trust and then turn on them and get the greatest persecution he's ever mounted in his career. And so he has to make a decision. Will I take the easy road? Or do I still want to be the apostle that God has called me to be? Sometimes when God calls you to big things and great things, you're going to find that even church organization is not happy about it. And sometimes, like Joseph, your brothers hate the idea that you've got a dream. An anointing. Your brothers. An anointing. A calling. So now Paul has to make a decision. Are you happy just being saved, if you will, or do you still want to be an apostle? Of the Lord Jesus Christ. Simon Peter. Jesus speaks to him and says let down your nets. And proves to him. That when there is no hope for financial blessing. God can lead him with a simple word. That will make him a merchant that is abundantly blessed. Is that what you want? Or do you want to be a fisherman of men? And so Simon Peter has to make a decision. This or that. The entire religious world in the time of Christ has to make that decision. Are you satisfied with an Old Testament law? Or do you want the fulfillment of whatever thing that the Old Testament law is through the New Testament? This or that. It's all about what you love. And so Jacob is seeing again Rachel. He is hearing her voice again. I believe that he remembered all over again seven years before when he first lifted up his eyes. There she was. And he felt them feelings all over again. Palms, knees, voice all over again. Butterflies go all over again. And when he remembered the expression, the emotions, the experience, it was easy for him to make a decision. I'm not going to be satisfied with anything of lesser vision. I want everything that God has prophesied and promised and spoken. I want an end time revival that will lift and change this world. I, I want a powerful gifts of the Spirit operating our church service. I want the ministry that you've spoken to me in dreams and a prophetic word. That's what I want. But here's, as I'm closing, this is what I've come to preach. Help me, sis. I thought for years as a Sunday school kid that he worked 14 years and then he married Rachel. That's, that's not the case. But the agreement he made with Laban was this. Fulfill Leah's week, her honeymoon. And if you'll agree to work for me seven more years, 
in one week after you've married Leah, I'll give you the hand of my daughter Rachel in marriage also. And the whole time you're paying the cost, you're going to be married to Rachel. See, here's the deal about 2020. God told us things at the beginning of that year. You're going to have revival in 2020. Your ministry is going to blossom in 2020. We heard these things. You heard these things. God really did speak to us and declare, this is what you can have, church. This is what you can have, child of God. This is what you can have, minister. And we embraced it and we fell in love with it and we started paying the cost for revival. But today, we lift our heads up, look around. This is not what he promised. This has been good. Don't get me wrong. Lee is not ugly. This, is, this has been good. But this ain't what he promised. And he just wants you to decide if you'll be satisfied with a lesser vision. Because if you will, he'll let you stay married to it. Scripture tells us in John 10 and 10 that the enemy came. He's just going to kill, destroy. But Christ came that you might have life. And for some, that's enough. Just life. But he also came to give life more abundant. And for others, they're like, life is pretty good. But I want it all. I want the greatest revival. I want the greatest harvest. I want the anointed gifts of the Spirit. I want the ministry, the soul winning, the prayer intercession. I want it all. So, the question is this, as we move into this new year. All the other churches are thinking that you're doing good. Everybody else is like, oh, so proud of you. Leah, don't look too bad. But you have to, first of all, let your Rachel walk into your room. Because when you start looking at the cost, You know, last year we prayed, we fasted, we saw, we did this. And now we've got lesser vision and God is saying seven more years. Pay the cost, whatever the cost is. It's a unique parable that Jesus speaks in the scripture as we're all standing. When he says that no man goes to build a tower unless he first sits down and counts the cost. I understand that principle, but anybody that's done any building knows this. There's hidden cost. And you never expected that you were going to have to build a new sewer system or replace some rotted walls that were behind you. You never know, but in almost every case, there's hidden cost. So I believe what this parable is saying is, it's not that you sit down and say, okay, I'll do this, one hour of prayer, I'll do this, one day fast, and I'll do this. No. Is that you say, it don't matter what the cost is. Whatever you require of me today, tomorrow, the next day, next week, I'm all in. Because I'm not going to be satisfied with anything of a lesser vision. I want it all. But here's the prophecy and the promise that the Holy Ghost has sent me to say to you. You make the commitment today. And he's going to let you covenant marriage with that prophecy in just a short time for the commitment of working whatever it takes for that prophecy, that promise. But it's going to be too difficult to make this choice unless you can have that first look again. First touch again. Put your lips on the lips again. 
of the prophecy and promise. Sweep it off its feet like it's the first time you've ever saw and heard it. And show how emotional you are about this love you have. Tears flowing. Voice lifting. Giving yourself. Love that you fall in love with. Let me tell you some things that have happened. I'm going to speak to you very specifically, Rack. 2020 has got some of us carnal. And this is where the enemy wants you to settle. Oh yeah, maybe you're still making it to heaven. 2020 has allowed things to rise up in our hearts and hurts and angers and gossiping and things that have been said and done and actions that we have taken. It has limited our vision. But I'm preaching today if you can let her come back in. Let Him call you all over again. Let Him refill you all over again. Let Him love on you all over again. Fall in love with Him again. Because there's perfect vision coming right now in this year. If you can fall back in love. Anybody want to carve out a little chamber in the altar here? Where you can get shut in with your prophecy, your promise, your walk with God. Anybody want to find a place over in the corner there where, where you can feel Him walk in, where you can know that touches upon her? Hey, yay, Take this whole world. Give me Jesus. Give me the prophecies. Give me the promises. Give me the anointing. Give me the harvest. Give me what you promised me.